When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. What if Santa didn't need eight reindeer to guide him through the night? Hey, Mercedes, map me to Kalamazoo. Okay, mapping the fastest route to Michigan. Or what if his sleigh could get real-time weather info? Hey, Mercedes, what's the temperature on the 25th? 22 degrees. Rooftops may be icy. Mercedes-Benz MBUX technology hasn't made it to flying sleighs, but it's available to you on the A-Class, the GLE, or GLC. And you can get them all for an exceptional price during the Mercedes-Benz winter event. MBUX command simulated. Right now, when you come in and switch to T-Mobile, you get the amazing iPhone 11 Pro on us with iPhone XS trade-in. Ah, aren't these mountains majestic? Joe, are you even looking? I'm posting these amazing pics I took with my iPhone 11 Pro. It has three cameras. Whoa, those pics are amazing. And you have service too? T-Mobile. Their newest signal goes farther than ever before. Uh, then you can look up whether these are bear tracks, right? Or we could just run. Come to a T-Mobile store today and get iPhone 11 Pro on us with iPhone XS trade-in. And right now, get four lines for just 30 bucks a line with AutoPay. Switch today. Contact us if you cancel or credits may stop in full price due, plus taxes and fees via 24 monthly credits for well-qualified customers with qualifying service and finance agreements. Zero down with trade-in plus 3125 times 24 months. Pre-credit price $999.99. Zero percent APR while supplies last. Welcome to the Barcelona Podcast, episode 162, and this will be brought to you by the most influential voices in the FC Barcelona community. I'm Dan Hilton, and I am joined today by Frances Tomas for some listener questions. 
And Frances, we did not get any questions about Slavia Prague because I was smart enough to ask for the questions before the game. But instead of even talking about that, I want to ask you about the meeting you had with Xavi Hernandez. That is much, much more exciting than that dull, dull game against Slavia Prague yesterday. Well, it really was more exciting. Um, it wasn't as long, to be fair. Um, no, uh, I was just walking around, basically. Um, here in Doha, in Qatar, there are not many places in which you can actually go out, um, especially in the insane heat that we've got now. It's between 40 to 47 degrees. That is Celsius, not Fahrenheit. I've got no idea about Fahrenheit, by the way. Um, no, I was just walking there. I had my little girls. They were, they were just going to the play area. And my girl just ran towards one of the rides and... Basically, Chavi was there with her, with his. Um, his wife was there too as well. I didn't get goosebumps or anything. I was just shocked to see him. But obviously, it makes sense to, 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 to have him in the area, obviously, because he works here. And I just came over and uh, I started speaking to him in Catalan. Um, I haven't really spoken Catalan for many years now because uh, I moved out of Barcelona around 16, 17 years ago now. So my third sentence had to switch to Spanish already. Um, he was a bit shocked that I was actually speaking to him in his language, or languages, both of them. And he was very pleasant. Um, he asked me about how long I've been here in Qatar. And, I, um, and then basically, you know, he was there with his family. So I just switched. Um, I made the conversation shorter. I didn't, want, I didn't want him to tell me that, you know, stop asking me questions. So um, I'm a bit like that anyway. I'm sure the listeners know that. So I just thanked him for the many years what I said, for two decades of actually making us very happy and that I watched his whole career from close by and um, I was really pleased and I just thanked him, basically. Um, he was he was very thankful. Um, he agreed to take a photo with me and, and we left, you know. Um, <laughs> and, 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 you know, he took, I got the photo and I was very excited. But the thing is, my little girl kept chasing his little girl. So it was like I was chasing him around the place. So I actually grabbed um, my little one and sort of moved her in a different direction. I didn't want to be embarrassed, like, you know, stop following me, sort of thing, like a stalker, <laughs> which I really wasn't, I promise. But, um, yeah, that was, it was very exciting. It was a bit emotional later, like, you know, when I started sort of talking to people and I had time to reflect on what actually had happened. I just met one of my... I don't like the word idols, you know, because I never really had idols growing up, but it's someone who I really admire and someone who, despite the distance, you know, I obviously lived in Barcelona for 25 years or so, but despite the distance, it's someone who I've watched very closely and it was very special, to be fair. Well, that's, yeah, tremendous uh, to, to see Xavi and to have that conversation. I think, I think in that situation with us, I would do the exact same thing where I would be really excited to see it to see him, I would start the conversation, he would ask a question or two, and then I would go, okay, this guy's time is really valuable, and just try to get out of there uh, as soon as possible with my dignity and uh, one picture intact. And that's what you got out of it. And yeah, and that was uh, yeah, a fun picture, and I hope everyone interacts with that on social media as well. But I think it's time to get to these listener questions. You ready? Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. So first question comes from Pancho. How do you think our new signings are doing? Like an early assessment on De Young. Griezmann, Neto, and Firpo. And let's start with Neto. He hasn't played yet. Uh, he started the year with that injury. So we don't have anything on Neto. And I think Firpo, I'm going to give a not available yet because he had a pretty terrible debut. But after that, he was fine. But he's also only made uh, less than three appearances. So for Firpo, I think that's still a, uh, I think the committee is still out on assessing exactly what he did. So that leaves with Griezmann and De Young. 
Uh, and Griezmann, with his four goals, three assists from nine games, has played 87% of Barcelona's available minutes. And meanwhile, De Jong has also played the same 87% of available minutes. But, uh, Frances, how do you see it? De Jong, Griezmann, I don't ask you which one you think has been more successful because I think it's been De Jong so far, unequivocally. But do you consider Griezmann's time so far a success or a failure? I think it's the better question. Um, I think Griezmann has been as good as I thought he was going to be. Um, obviously, regular listeners know that I wasn't impressed with his signing in terms of personality, etc. But, you know, we've gotten over that now. He's one of our squad players and uh, we need to support him. So just assessing him purely on what he's doing on the pitch, I think he's been as good as I thought he was going to be. Um, I predicted that he was going to take quite a bit of time to get adapted, and he is. Um, I think his work rate is quite surprising, to be honest. I knew that he worked hard, but I didn't expect him to be the same at Barca. But he has taken that sort of Pedrito sort of attitude, which I really, really enjoy. He's one of the players in the whole team that actually... You can see he's always trying to get involved both offensively and defensively. And that's, that's a huge positive. Um, I think that, especially moving forward, he's not been as effective as he should be. You know, numbers, obviously, when you play for Barca, which is the team that always dominates and, and, and sort of has so much of a drive to move forward, it's natural that his numbers will go up. I think four or five goals um, so far is, is a good return. But the thing is, you know, he hasn't felt and and seen, being seen completely sort of natural and, and free, um, I think that's because Luis Suarez is in the center, you know. Um, I think if you took Luis Suarez out of the equation, which obviously is debatable whether you should do it or not, um, but if Griezmann was a striker and had, say, Dembele on the side uh, or and Messi on the other side, for example, then that would be a different, a different story. I think that Griezmann a lot of the time runs into the spaces that Suarez actually occupies um, and Arguably, the young also runs into the same spaces from behind. And then you've got Messi, who does whatever he wants, um, obviously for the benefit of the team. So, long story cut short, I think Griezmann would be better if he wasn't always playing with Suarez, even though they complement each other fairly well. But I think that they also reduce spaces uh, because Griezmann is not someone who, you know, he would start on the wing, he would start wherever you put him, but he tends to, to drive towards the middle because that's his natural habitat. So, it's going to take more time to... Into, to actually maximize his potential. Yeah, and I think I, I have two responses to that. One, looking at yesterday's game against Slavia Prague, between Griezmann and De Jong, they're clearly not having their talents maximized. And I think that's the biggest issue here, where it's not necessarily about their individual performances, because again, I think De Jong is, and Griezmann, in a way that Messi also says a lot, that it takes a little bit of time to get accustomed to and familiar with the Barcelona way of playing. But that said, in yesterday's game, the way that Barca were defending in that in that four four two, and almost staying back at times because of the lack of pressure that Suarez and Messi combined tend to put on the defense, and in the same regard against that 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 low block that Slavia Prague and a lot of teams against Barcelona, who certainly obviously always have the more talented players on the ball, they're willing to sit deep in that in that low block. And so what I found yesterday watching, it wasn't even having to do with Griezmann or De Jong. It was that because Messi dropped so deep to get the ball and Barcelona's reliance on him to create in a way that it almost seems silly to me that uh, De Jong, once the ball is then turned over, let's say Messi turns it over at midfield or a little bit beyond that after trying to take on three or four guys because that was a game plan, De Jong's now way out on the right wing to try to come back in the middle of the field and cover ground there to defend the same way that Arthur. A little less than De Jong. De Jong was, I mean, at 
a lot of the times yesterday, just right in front of Nelson Semedo on that touchline. And in the same way, because at times yesterday, Antoine Griezmann, and this has to do with Jordi Alba going forward, but Antoine Griezmann at times was, if you look at the heat map, was all the way back at basically the left back position. So how is Antoine Griezmann a general, uh, we'll say his actual real position in theory would be a secondary striker, if you will, playing off of a primary number nine uh, in the middle of the field. But yet Antoine Griezmann's playing not even on the wing, but he's playing at left back seemingly at times. If you look again at the heat map against a team like Slavia Prague, where Barcelona should be getting 60, 70% of possession, winning by by three three goals or so. And that's, again, no disrespect to Slavia Prague. They played Inter Milan well, and we had feared them. But in the same regard, I think the game plan yesterday was absurd. And Antoine Griezmann and Frankie de Jong not having their best talents and assets utilized to the full potential, I think is a big part of what I, I think Barcelona's early issues are. And I, I think it, not necessarily that I'm putting that on Messi or even them, but I think that is uh, Ernesto Valverde, obviously, to be held accountable for that. But uh, I, I think that answers that one, right, Frances? Without a doubt, uh, I think Valverde needs to be able to maximize his players. And unfortunately, based on experience, and especially, you know, because it's all well and good to play, and again, no disrespect by like Eibar and Getafe and Leganes and, play, and teams like that in La Liga. But when you go to the Champions League and you especially play in a way, that's when you actually have to have to earn your garbanzos, you know, have to earn your chickpeas, like we say in Spanish. And Barca have really underperformed, um, obviously, in the final hurdles of the Champions League in the last two, three, four years. But, you know, going to Zavia Praga and still struggle in the way that they did because, you know, Fair enough, they should have lost that game. You know, if you look at the control that they had, uh, if you look at the, the the way in which the local team were pushing forward, the number of chances they had, Ter Stegen with a couple of really good saves, a second goal was just very, very lucky. Um, you know, that's a game that naturally we should have lost. And, you know, a team that is challenging for all three titles, but definitely for the Champions League glory, cannot really be struggling like that against Slavia Praga. I mean, you can look at it the other way and say, despite us being so terrible, we still got the three points, and that's a positive because you know history is only going to remember that we won that game. That's everything that's going to be that's going to be analyzed. You know, come come January, February, you know, no one's mm-hmm. going to remember. But the thing is, the whole point is that we should be winning these games much more comfortably, and and we should be sort of making a statement to the rest of the European clubs that look, Barca's here. For the challenge again but we just are not and that's where we are today yeah i agree with that uh, and i think then we'll move on to don's question and you and i uh, ironically enough have answered this on different forums i i put it on twitter you put it on, on facebook and instagram and, and don says is having el clasico pushed back more beneficial to barcelona squad or real madrid squad i, I think we would get into a debate here Frances, but i think we both agreed on this yeah, uh, I think the classical being pushed back is bad news for FC Barcelona. Note how I said FC, not not the city, but the actual team. Uh, from a sporting perspective, uh, we were ready to play Madrid now. Um, obviously, Madrid have not really been great of late. They haven't been great all season, the same as us, to be honest. Um, but, you know, the last weekend losing to Mallorca, that was a little bit embarrassing for them. And uh, I think... From a sporting perspective, the right thing to do was play in the Classical um, this week, this, this Saturday, as it was scheduled. Um, as, as the listeners know, we don't really get too political on this podcast, but actually this time I actually want to say a couple of things. Um, 
I was listening to the Catalan radio throughout the whole week because obviously it's been a it's been a worrying time for everyone who is from Spain or Catalonia or both because there's people that also feel like that. Don't forget. Um, I really do think that you know if people don't want to understand each other, then situations that are out of the ordinary do happen. Uh, it's been years of the Catalan government and politicians and, and you know half the population pushing the independence forward but then again it's also been the same from the spanish point you know they they have not listened to what the politicians are saying they have point blank rejected any sort of dialogue and again half the population of catalonia have been pushing the other way and the thing is when the leaders of both both parties or both sides if you want to call it that are so against actually speaking about anything um and agreeing to follow the rules of the game as it currently is, then these things can happen. And, you know, despite the whole situation being shambolic, there's no other way to call it, and, you know, um, you know, um, mobiliario urbano, so like furniture around the city and, and things being burned and thrown away and barricades and all that, which is horrible to see. It actually hurts my heart to actually see my city being turned upside down by these minorities that are so radicalized, but the thing is, is the same, you can argue the same for the police, don't forget that. Um, so it just really does hurt, but the thing is, there was not an official statement from either police force, Mosos Esquadra, which is the Catalan police, or the Policia Nacional, which is the Spanish police, neither one of those bodies actually said that the classical wasn't safe to be played. So I, I don't know if that has been broadcasted around the world, but this is the situation, unless I'm proven wrong, and the Catalan radio has done a study on this and they've done lots of research, that has not happened. So this is a decision taken by Javier Tebas um, to move the Clásico, which is, has obviously worldwide repercussions, and everyone around the world thinks that the Clásico has been moved because of the unrest of the city, which obviously I'm not denying that is happening, but actually when you really analyze it, the police from either side, neither side had actually said to move it. So this is a, uh, this is a sporting decision with political connotations, which to me is just baffling that it has been allowed to happen. And, you know, we, I know we've already mentioned the sporting perspective and that's what the show is about, but I really wanted to share this with the, with the audience today because I don't think that's been shared um, as it should have been throughout the world. Yeah, I think what is happening, it was the fear of the what if, and that is why uh, Tebas moved El Clasico, or everybody wanted to move El Clasico, not Barcelona and Real Madrid, but La Liga wanted to move El Clasico because it is, and I think this also answers the first question, is that it is special, and I think form doesn't matter. I mean, and I don't actually, I think I actually will push back on the first point of that, that I think Real Madrid have now two weeks now to think about their loss to Mallorca, and hopefully they'll drop a few more points. But when it comes to meeting each other, uh, that now it's going to be the week before Christmas, uh, and I, I think form and everything else involved, uh, injuries, suspension, you know, they matter a little bit. Uh, but in terms of El Clasico, that game in a nutshell, uh, Barcelona thrashed Real Madrid without Messi last year. Uh, and then Real Madrid could do the same. They could have done the same this week and they could have done the same then in, in a month and a half plus when it's time for the actual El Clasico. Um, but you're absolutely right, Frances, to point out that what's happening, uh, I want to say politically, but it winds up going uh, a little bit beyond politics because it has to do so much with identity and it has to do so much with the people that are there uh, that I, I think I'm glad that you were able to to speak on it. And the reason people like me stay apolitical is because I'm just trying to watch how it affects uh, FC Barcelona 
and with an eye, and with another eye away from even the podcast, away from sports, about how it's affecting those in Catalonia and those surrounding the issue uh, currently going sure. on. So when you answer that, actually, I want to also do this point. I want you to throw in the fact that uh, Gurdip's question here is, how else will you think the club be affected? I mean, because the club has said that, as you mentioned, that uh, they're just disappointed in the present sentences equaling a lack of dialogue. That is the stance of the 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 club has taken but the club is under fire from both people that say that they need to be more in support of what's happening in 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 catalonia like some of the board and gerard pk have spoken out for catalan independence and then there's a way that the board because the thought here is that no matter what the club does by by just putting out a statement like that but staying apolitical and not supporting catalan independence that that's the club saying that they are actually in support of just what spain is what spain is being accused of doing in trying to silence the movement but do you think that could affect the club presidential elections uh that could be coming up or again do you think that it could affect just a a wave of a certain type of uh, depending on the demographics of the socios i think in in voting but uh sorry francis i just want to give you that all of that to work with here Sure, sure. I'm going to forget my first point, but I'm going to answer what you just said. Um, so, I mean, this is personal. I think the club should just be impartial to politics. You know, I know that this is not going to sound very popular to a lot of people, but it's, it's a podcast and you ask me a question, so this is what I'm thinking. I think the, the, the club should be away from politics. I think the club should be uh, respecting the fact that there's a lot of people that are from Catalonia that support the club and there's a lot of people who feel just Spanish who also support the club. You know, I think the club should be a representation of sport and as such, they should remain impartial. However, Barca is a Catalan club. Barca is a Catalan club that has been going for around 122 years, I think it is now, and it has always traditionally been linked to its Catalan identity and Catalan politics. From that perspective, you can understand why they're doing what they're doing, you know, because um, say, say the first part of the statement of what I just said is what Espanol did, you know, and then in Catalonia it has been interpreted like they are supporting Spain and they have got a lot of uh, Catalans who support Espanol, but actually there's more people from Spain or Spanish sort of feeling that support Espanol and there's been a lot of criticism for that. So I don't think Barca actually had a choice um, and in terms of what the sources would like, I think there's more sources pro-independent than against independence, but then again this is just me being in the stadium, well, hundreds of times and speaking to people and seeing what people around the stadium are. I think, and you hear the in in the in the pandemia sort of chant going round through the stadium every every home game. So I think there's more people that would support independence. So from that perspective, it actually I think it would earn votes towards Bartomeu or whoever whoever is the next candidate if if the club has got that stance. Going back to the original thing that I wanted to mention. We're never going to know if this, if this actually would have happened or not. But I really, really doubt that there would have been any problem in playing in Classical this Saturday. And I will tell you why. Because the whole of the media from the whole of the world will be watching that. You know, there's, I don't know, hundreds of millions of people uh, from all over the place uh, watching this game. And there will be cameras all over the place. Obviously, because of the current political situation, the cameras wouldn't have just been pointing at Messi's eyebrows. They would have been pointing at what's happening around the stadium. And I think that the worst thing that the sort of pro-independence people would have done is to demonstrate or, or to basically make a fool of themselves or being sort of criminal, criminalizing and destroying things around the stadium because that would have been broadcast and that would have defeated and sort of damaged all the goodwill that they have gathered throughout the years. Yeah. Um, if you think about it, 
there's been demonstrations in Barcelona this week and the previous week. Um, there's been over a million people. There's been people uh, walking pretty much 300 kilometers or however long to come to Barcelona in this peaceful protest. Um, it's called um, Marea, Marea Democrática, I think it's called. And they went to La Diagonal and it was full of people. There was over a million people demonstrating, all peaceful. Then these people that are sort of doing these um, destrozas de mobiliarios, this damage to the whole city, mm -hmm. which is embarrassing and is, is cringeworthy and is, is just wrong. They, there's not that many. There's 30 to 40 to 50 to maybe 60, 70 people uh, doing this, and they are organized. Obviously, if you're, going, if you're trying to sell newspapers, that's going to be the picture you're going to publish. You're not going to have four grannies cheering, yeah. you know, cheering for independence. You're going to have the people that are burning the city down, and, and you know, that's, that's how the media works. But the thing is, you cannot deny the fact that you've got a million people demonstrating peacefully. You've got, say, 80, say 100 people being you know, criminals around the, around the city, as a very small proportion of the people who are complaining peacefully. So I would say, I would have thought, and again, we don't have an answer, but if the classical had been played this week, I think the peaceful protest would have outweighed the others, and the ones that have been in the front covers all around the world would have actually kept quiet not to be defeating their own ideals, if that makes any sense. No, I think it does, and that puts a lot of faith in, uh, I guess, those who would be doing uh, the negative things, which, as you mentioned, is a small, small proportion and percentage of it. And I think back to uh, last year for the for the Super Classico in South America with with River Plate and Boca Juniors, when that yes, that might seem like there are politics involved in in that kind of derby, but that was simply things going on because of the soccer and the football side of things that 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 wind up being delayed just because of uh, raucous behavior and rocks were being thrown and and players were being physically endangered and, and players were physically hurt and that is why that and i think back even to dortmund when there was that uh the the issue with the bus when mark bartra was hurt and it was just he didn't play in that match and yet the game went on which i thought in that instance was completely absurd and leading up to this i think it does as you mentioned come in the planning of this and that it would be counterintuitive to a group to show themselves in a negative light. And the way that I think it's always been now, again, the reminder here is that uh, this referendum, whether legal or not, occurred back in October of 2017. And so it has now been two plus years on. And I think it's, uh, again, we're staying, we're try I'm trying to keep apolitical here, but I think it also should be mentioned and, and be made aware uh, that in that time, there has been so much, as you mentioned, those grannies have been calling for independencia for now two years on. And it's almost a credit to those uh, in the past that it hasn't completely boiled over. And now those prison sentences have boiled these tensions over again. And I think while it would be beneficial for the Spanish government just to almost wait it out and, and, and let this go down, you look at what's happening in the rest of the world. This is this is all about you know global news, and I know we're so far in the weeds. I'm going to get back in a second, but again, you look at what's happening in the NBA with Hong Kong and China and the way the Hong Kong protests have continued to go on, and I think it is different between the relationship between China and the and Hong Kong and then Spain and uh, and Catalonia, and in all those regards. I think it's important to understand that nuance is very significant here. And as you mentioned, what happened in Argentina for River Plate and Boca Juniors is going to be different than what 
happens in Barcelona with Real Madrid and how the different governments are handling dialogue and conversations or lack thereof is much different between China and Hong Kong and Catalonia and Spain. Uh, and I, I think just trying to understand the differences here uh, is important. But uh, I think as we all go back to it, Francesc, I think you're right that I would trust that the Catalan people, again, you live there, uh, I've been there and I got to know tons of people from Catalonia. I would trust that that situation um, would have been fair, not just for sporting reasons, but understanding this is the most important point here, that all eyes, when El Clasico was happening, all eyes descend upon the Camp Nou and Barcelona and to be peaceful and proper and get your message out in, in positive ways would have been the best stance that the movement for Catalan independence could have taken in that circumstance. So I, I think that sums it up. Uh, let's go on to a question from Eric. Frances, that one was, I think, a 10 of 10 on the difficult scale. This one's going to be probably a <laughs> 1 to 3. So we're going to make it a lot easier here. Eric has, who is best suited to play in Busquets' spot with his apparent slowing down, assuming Arthur and De Young are best kept playing where they currently are being used? Actually, now that I read it, Frances, that one is actually pretty difficult. Maybe a little easier than the one before it, but still pretty difficult. Now that the best person to play in Busquets' place when Busquets doesn't play is De Young. So, because that's where he played Ajax most of the time. That's the position that he's the master at. That's why he's been nominated for the Ballon d'Or. And which he won't win, obviously, because it's a popularity contest. But um, yeah, without a doubt, he understands the movement. He understands the the, the passing. He can basculate from one side to the other. Um, one of the things that impressed has impressed me the most this season, and obviously he did it at Ajax, but you know, playing at Barca is different. Is his um, strength when conducting the ball? Is his potential to overlap and also his quickness of thought? Um, I think that. If Busquets wasn't to start, which is debatable whether he still should, to be honest, I would be more inclined to say this should happen immediately. Uh, but De Jong should be my, my defensive midfielder, without a doubt. Yeah, I think the calls that Busquets still does such a good job in sturdying in front of the defense, uh, it's not a knock on Busquets to say that watching De Jong at Ajax, they are different, certainly, and... Busquets doesn't cut out the passing angles like he used to. But as I said, in Valverde's system, that's the issue. That I think Busquets still has uh, the great ability to do the best things that he's always done in his career. But that's not the system that Valverde's playing. With uh, Busquets, his defensive acumen comes when he's able to use uh, the likes. And that's what made Xavi and you can't dare ever tell me Andres Iniesta is a lockdown defender at, at, at the at any level international or first team but yet the intelligence of Xavi and Iniesta and Busquets when they were at their defensive best came because they were they were closing down passing angles they weren't going into 50-50 tackles and 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 crunching and, and slide tackling and getting the ball that way now Busquets hits the ground a little more than the other two used to uh, but in the same regard they were just smarter than the opposition and they would cut down passing lanes and they would suffocate an opponent uh, and cut down those angles and get the ball back in that way. And that is the best that Busquets mm -hmm. always was. And so that's a lot of what De Jong and Ajax did as well last season. Uh, it was a little bit of a press, a little more so, uh, like Barcelona will say, like under the, with, with the days of David Villa or Pedro, uh, they press a little bit more then. And I think that's what De Jong as a defensive midfielder is best at, right? That we're, we're entrusting Busquets to be at his best when Barcelona isn't really pressed and isn't really closing down those angles from the top when it comes to Suarez and Messi. Uh, and then Griezmann, Griezmann hasn't really learned how to work with his teammates and cut down those angles in the same way. Artur is clearly, I think, learning. I think Artur has been much better defensively in terms of being in the right spots premeditated than he was last year. But when it comes to, again, when I said 
offensively when Messi is dropping so deep to receive the ball from uh, from PK or Langley because they're not dribbling into that space. They're simply trying to to put a long pass on Messi's feet, and that gives the opposition plenty of time to then, now he's got two or three guys on his back, and then again, if the ball's turned over, whether it's Dembele giving it away, whether it's Suarez with a bad touch, or whether it's Messi, uh, because he would collapse upon like a beehive, then Busquets is not in a position close enough to Archer and De Jong to immediately press and get back the ball, because those passing angles for the opposition are wide open for just too long, because of how far apart those those midfielders are. So I think to that point, Busquets could be, I think, re- utilized really well still defensively, but it, it comes at the expense of the system that Valverde plays. So again, I, I do point the finger back at Valverde in this instance in that it makes the most sense, but I think in the modern game as well, De Young's mobility uh, works terrifically. And uh, we're going to talk about Ricky Poos. Let's actually go right into that question now. I was going to save it for later. Dan, yeah. Dan, I never asked you any questions, really, thinking about it. I was listening to the podcast the other day. It's like, I never asked him anything. So here's <laughs> a question for you. Yeah. If manager was Pep Guardiola, who would play in that position? At the number six? Yeah. In I think front would... of defense. Yeah, I mean, my, my gut tells me it would be De Young. Yeah. Of course. So that's the end of the question, isn't it? That's it. If Guardiola would play the young, that tells you he's the better player. So everyone else has been too conservative, right? Well, I, I think it, it does. It's not necessarily that. So again, I, I would say it's the young. But the caveat there again is that it probably actually still could be Busquets because I think again Guardiola would keep his midfield, his center three midfielders much much closer to one another. So I think Busquets' talent would be a little more maximized in the system that Pep Guardiola plays. But in the same regard. Uh, again, I'm going to keep hammering this home about even a Ricky Puj. I, I think under Guardiola, and, and I say this because as much as he's cast aside a ton of young talent at Man City because of how expensive their roster is and their squad is, you watch the way he's given the keys to Phil Foden knowing that he has that talent. And I supremely believe, uh, having watched so much of him, I, 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 we're going to talk about Lenya in a second, but when it comes to Ricky Puj, who the YouTube video is about this week, uh, it should be out by the time you hear this. The Barcelona Podcast YouTube channel. Actually, I'll probably put it in the description uh, as, as well if I get the chance to. But Antonio had asked, should we find a way to incorporate Ricky Puz to the first team sooner than later? I say an unequivocal absolutely yes. What he's doing for Barcelona B, he's their best player playing in a more fee role in the midfield. He has that intelligence to do the same thing that in a very Iniesta defensive way. That again, he is not this uh, large, gigantic 50-50 tackling uh, killer when the ball's in the air, but Ricky Puj understands how La Masia teaches their young players to be in the proper positions before them and understand what the opposition is going to do with the ball before they do. And that's what Ricky Puj does defensively. And I think a midfield three of Arthur, De Young, and, and, and eventually Puj, and I almost say eventually, even though he's 20, but I think there are games and at times, I'm not trotting, I'm not trying to trot Ricky Puj out and obviously, he's not going to even come up if he did until January. That's what the YouTube video is about. I don't want to get into that conversation now. But I, I think Ricky Pooj, with what he would be, he does at his best, there are at least 8 to 10 games in the spring that if Ricky Pooj was brought up and called up and given starts alongside Arthur and De Young, you would be incredibly impressed at the way that Barcelona offensively and even, I think, defensively would completely overrun midfields in ways that I, I just, unfortunately, Busquets... Rakitic and Artur, uh, Arturo Vidal, especially in, and I say this, especially in Valverde's system, do not do. So that's, I mean, and Ricky Puj in the same way, 
28% of Barca B's goals he's affected. And to put that into context, this is also a YouTube video, but to put that into context, De Jong has impacted 8% of Barca's goals. So Puj, 28% of Barcelona B's goals and being, you know, evolved or be, having a key pass or being a crucial part of it. De Jong was 8%, Archer's 21%, and Griezmann at a forward position is just 30%. So 2% more than Ricky Puj has Griezmann affected the total goals for FC Barcelona's first team. I, I just think that's how important Puj has been. So when you talk about Guardiola, uh, again, it's going to be people pushing back on us that we're being a little too... We're, we're always praising Guardiola and going back to that. Uh, but I don't even think it's Griezmann. Make it a faceless manager. I, I think a proper manager of FC Barcelona, it just winds up that Guardiola has become the gold standard. So whether it's whether it's Guardiola who is a gold standard, but I think it would be Cruyff, it would be Michaels, it would be or uh, Mickles, it would be anybody in that mold that we would have trusted at the at the most. I, I think even at times Kubala would have did that in his few years as 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 manager. Uh, and I think so. I think the proper FC Barcelona manager is going to make that decision with Puj. And I think to answer em Emmanuel's question real quick, and this is where you jump in, Francesca, I think Carlos Alenia would have got more playing time here too. He would have done. I think one of the key points for Puj not being a first teamer yet is Rakitic, to be honest. I mean, I love what the guy has done for Barca for many years. He was instrumental in the 2015 Champions League trophy, um, starting pretty much every game, being the difference maker. A little bit like the young is, is being now, to be fair. Um, but the thing is, you cannot devalue him because this is someone who sh should have left in the summer. This is someone who we, sh we should have got a good 30, 40, 50 million euros for. But obviously that hasn't happened and, and you can't just sort of leave him out completely. So you need to keep him relatively happy. You need to sort of expose him so the big clubs um, around Europe with money, for example, I don't know, Man United and the different Milan clubs, for example, they need to see a player that's playing and, and you know, because otherwise you're devaluing what you have. And that's the key reason. With Alanya, I think it's an X-Files. I've said it many times in the pod as well. I don't want to repeat myself too much, but I just don't understand why someone of his potential and quality and you know proven record at Barca V as well is just not, not featuring at all. Um, I, I cannot really explain it, but I think if the situation continues, Rakitic needs to be sold, but obviously at the right price. Otherwise, just keep him as Keita used to play during the Guardiola years, if you remember that. And then Olanya, if he doesn't play, needs to go. He needs to go, but obviously not sold. Will be on loan. Uh, Betis seems to be the most likely destination at this moment in time. But if he went to Ajax, I wouldn't complain either. He needs to be. He needs to be playing. He's young enough, and otherwise his career is gonna stall, and we don't want that. No, not at all. And and Betis is actually, I think, becoming more and more of a potential candidate because they are not playing well at the moment. And Kike Sendian has been gone for months and people are still blaming the way that they're playing on him. But their def defense is absolutely leaky. Uh, and so to bring in another uh, assured all-around midfielder like Kalasalenia would not be a bad idea for at least on loan. And so that's a big question about Ricky Puj. So you got to go over to that video as well to see whether or not uh, I, I think or the, I make the case for whether he's going to get promoted, whether he stays at Barca B or whether he goes out on loan. But another guy that has seen his playing time fluctuate that we'll talk about next, question from Doug, is Umtiti, or if Umtiti recovers his best pre-injury form, how does that affect our defensive issues? And Francis, let me take this one first uh, with a quick idea here. Uh, I, you know, I say that looking at the first 15 minutes of yesterday's game against Slavia Prague, I think Pique and Lengley defensively, I think have a higher potential than any other combination of the four, that being Umtiti and Tadebo added together. I think just defensively, they they have the potential to be more rock solid, and at times last year they were. 
uh, while Umtiti was dealing with all those injuries, uh, those knee injuries last year. But if Umtiti was ever to get back to where he was in his first season, I think the higher, again, potential for Barcelona's full total system and the way that he is utilized in terms of being having that just natural ability to dribble a little bit more uh, and his passing is as good or better than Langley's. Though to Langley's credit, I think his long passing has gotten better in his time in Barcelona and that is certainly something that uh, you might not notice by watching just a whole game, but if you watch just Langley at certain minutes as I've tried to do, his long passing has improved uh, since last season, even though defensively he has not been as good he has not been uh i think mental his mental game has been a little lapse this year compared to last year but i think at his best mtt brings that but the one thing i also want to add at the end here is that i keep calling for tadibo and mtt because again i think their ability to dribble into the midfield and take up space with the ball can still at their feet it just opens up so much more and it pushes barcelona it almost takes where they are on the field and everything they're trying to set up and it moves it 15 to 20 yards forward instead of taking a chance with a long pass where the potential of Dembele or Suarez uh, or even Messi, the potential of the other team overrunning whatever player is trying to receive that long pass in that time it takes for that ball to get there. If you're able to just dribble into that space, like Tadebo has shown in his limited time that Umtiti did so well in his first season, uh, it just opens up so much more and allows Arthur and De Jong and Busquets. So instead of taking away their defensive duties, why not move everything up 15 or 20 yards? And now you have Arthur and De Young in much, much better positions up the field. So they're not carrying the ball so much forward. And we do praise De Young about his ability to dribble. But what if the center backs were able to do that? And then De Young goes on his dribbling move. And now you're in the penalty box and the opponent is on the back foot. So again, I think the highest Barcelona could play, the best of their of their system is Tadebo in, in two or three years when he's at his best defensively and has learned all you need to learn, but he also has his offensive abilities, which are, cl- are clear as day, uh, even as a, for a teenager. And the same thing with Tadebo, if he's ever able to recover what he was in his first season, uh, I, I think he does so much for Barcelona's system. Yep, I agree. I've got very little to add. I think that in order to analyze Umtiti's capabilities, we need to see him play. And he's been injured much more than he has been on the pitch. So that's, that's what needs to happen before we can have a proper analysis. Um, everything else, I agree with you. All right, we have time again. Apologies those questions we did not get to, but we got time for two more here. Uh, a combination of Rick and Vilmos uh, asked and responded to the rumors this week about Ronald Koeman to Barcelona. Uh, it's no surprise of a club legend's desire to one day coach Barca, but is he ready? Uh, Frances, I've got a few numbers to back it up, so I'm going to say no first, and instead of explaining, I'll let you uh, either push back and say yes, or agree with my no. I agree with your no. <laughs> <laughs> I, I agree with your no. Uh, it's more based on feeling than anything. I mean, obviously, he's now coaching in Holland, and you know he's got a good generation of players, and he's leading them fairly well, but the thing is, when he was coaching at Valencia, and I know that was several years ago, the experience was just terrible. His man management um, was not up to scratch at all. Um, there were many players, and many key players as well, that were incredibly unhappy. Um, I can't really quite remember. I think it was Cañizares or Baraja or someone like that that he had a really difficult time with, um, even sort of taking him out of the squad. And that really has damaged his image as a coach in, in Barcelona, as a, as a player. I mean, he was faultless. He's one of the reasons why the dream team and Johan Cruyff were so successful. And you can take that away from him. But as a manager, I think that the, the, the flavor that the Catalans have um, from his, his time at La Liga is just not very good. I'm sure you've got better numbers, but that's the feeling coming from Barcelona. 
Yeah, I, I think there's certainly something to it when you look at what Coleman, you know, his system he played at Everton, uh, and then obviously Southampton, there's just a lack of talent there, so it's, it's hard to, uh, I, if anything, actually, he, he overachieved at Southampton. So the numbers, again, I, I don't want to bring up Pep Guardiola, but in his uh, managerial career at Man City, Bayern Munich, and FC Barcelona, when he unequivocally had the best rosters and the best teams in all those leagues, he averaged about 2.38 points per match. So that, you think of 2.38 per match uh, points, that is the gold standard to what, over the last few seasons, he is, he is the most winningest coach in that time period. But at his best stops, right, that at, in a league in the Eredivisie for Ajax, 2.07, that was actually one of his, that was his second stop, even that was uh, 01 to 05. But you mentioned Valencia, just a torrid time there. That was, again, 12 years ago, 1.24 points per match. And now the Netherlands has, I think at any other point, you look at his other stops here of Valencia, uh, even PSV or, or Feyenoord, where he was actually one of his best stops was Feyenoord. But uh, and then the the lack of success he had in half a year at AZ Alkmaar in, in the Eredivisie. But then Southampton, he overachieved 1.64 points there in the Premier League. But then you mentioned Everton, 1.48, which even for Everton, that should be a team in the top 10 in the Premier League. That just wasn't good enough. Uh, and that's why, obviously, he was fired in October of 2017. But for the Netherlands, at 1.89 points per match in the international game is actually pretty good, believe it or not. And that is why he's getting these calls. It's his work with De Jong and, uh, and De Ligt and Depay and the rest of that Netherlands team and almost resurrecting them and building them back up. And I, I think, as we mentioned, it's not about the stats and how successful he's done in wins and losses. And they have got some big wins they've beaten france they've beaten germany uh and they've looked really good but in that same instance i think the international game is different and Komen has yet to prove that he could uh, they, they could help a side other than southampton overachieve because the way he achieved with southampton was not this fluid attacking barcelona way it was a more defensive way it was a bunker in we're in the premier league we're gonna have to take some abuse and that is when Komen was at his best and that is and that is almost counterintuitive to what the best we want to see of Barcelona. So uh, anything more to add there? No, it's just being a manager is more than, more than winning and losing. It's about feeling. It's about man management. It's about understanding the situation and, and the environment in which you're in. And from what I've seen from Kuman, it just didn't happen. You can't change it and he can learn from his mistakes. No wonder. But the, the initial sensation is no thank you. Yeah, I, that's why I said I think he needs one more club stop that really winds up being successful for me to, to trust him in a system that is very similar to Barcelona's. So last question here comes from Mike Miller. And Mike, thanks so much for filling in for Frances last week. Let's throw that out there first. So Mike, he went from co-hosting and he's immediately asking questions and helping out with the pod in every way he can. So again, special thanks to he's Mike He's a legend. Here. Oh, Good Mike. Michael. Great. Yeah. More than just a friend of the pod. So now that MSG is firing, that being Messi, Suarez, Griezmann, don't tell you guys that, is firing all cylinders, will we see Ansu Fati and Carlos Perez start matches again for Barca this season while every other forward on the squad is healthy? And for context here, that trident has combined 12 goals this season. That's counting the game against Slavia Prague yesterday. Uh, we should do. We should do. Um, I don't want to be hypercritical of Dembele, but man, like, when he came on, he came on for the last 20 minutes against Slavia Praga, and it's just, I don't know, it's like the road runner has been on drugs for a week, you know? <laughs> he's just running at people, he's just not passing, he's just not combining, he's just basically not even seeing what's going on around him. I mean, I, I, probably that's a bit too harsh, but the thing is, I cannot describe it in any other way. It's someone who, you know, gets the ball, 
in those counterattacks we had, he gets the ball sort of close to our defensive line. He runs all the way to the other goalkeeper, and then he just sort of bumps into our defender. I don't, I don't quite understand. This is someone in his third year, and you know, not every play is like that. But you know what I mean. Like that's that's the feeling you have. It's just he just can, he doesn't know what to do with the ball half the time. So having someone with a brain. Uh, in terms of Ansu Fati or Carlos Perez, would be a, would be an improvement. You know, obviously with Dembélé's speed, he can unbalance games. He can, you know, out of every 20 plays, he may make one that actually is beneficial, and he will score a goal that sort of top corner. Great, granted for sure. But fluidity, Ansu Fati is seven million years ahead in terms of understanding of the Barca system and common footballing sense. So yes, let's let's play them. I actually want to push back on Mike's question even. He said that with MSG firing all cylinders, and I actually disagree with that to the point that I think that Valverde is continuing to play Suarez 90 minutes over and over and over again is to get him back in form. We know that with Luis Suarez, putting him on the bench is not the thing that gets him in his top form. And the other thing I want to remind people, again, it's not an anti-Suarez campaign that I or that, you know, the Barcelona podcast we've ever taken because he is about to become the, if I, if I remember right, the fourth all-time leader uh, passing Josep Cementier, uh, a true Barcelona legend. He's about to become that. I think he already is a Barcelona legend. Whenever you're going to look at goal-scoring records at Barcelona, Suarez is going to be in the top three uh, or four. And actually, Kubala is less than 15 goals away as well. So this season, if if his career is any indication, Suarez is going to pass uh, the guy who helped the Camp No become the Camp No. He's a guy who helped Barcelona jump into a year uh, or into the generation where they believe that they could beat Real Madrid and win trophies uh, in Lazo Kubala. And he's going to pass him on the goal scoring marks uh, as well. So Luis Suarez is just that good, and the belief that An- that Ernesto Alberti has is that he has to play his way out of bad form, and that's what he's always done in his career. Uh, and so at what point, uh, to, to not answer my question, is I wonder at what point MSG will reach their top potential, and at that moment, is it okay to bring off uh, Luis Suarez after 60 or 70 minutes? But the, uh, the, the pushback to that as well is that against Slavia Prague, Dembele came on for Griezmann. And we all say it should be Suarez to get him rest and all those things. But with the amount of pressing that Griezmann does that Suarez doesn't, how much more running Griezmann does, that's why he came off the field for uh, Luis Suarez. So I think the thing that we're going to see is, this is where Mike, I think, is right, is that Ansu Fadi and Carlos Perez, I don't know how much they're going to be utilized off the bench because when everybody's healthy, Dembele, uh, regardless of what you said, Frances, is the, the first option off the bench. So... Fati and Perez are going to have to start those matches. I think that's the pushback, that they're going to be getting their time, but it's because whether it's Messi or Suarez or Griezmann, they're not playing at all that day. That is why they got the start. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's, that's, I think, my the, point. that's, that's I think, my the point. only opportunity that's going to happen. Dembele on his third year, um, he cost, what, 100, 120 million euros? These guys should be starting. These guys should be starting. And, and you know, you've got, him coming off the bench for 20 minutes. It's just not value for money. It really isn't. Yep, yep. And then uh, to, to wrap this all up in a nice bow, Jorge had asked, should Barca sell uh, Rakitic during the winter tr- market or should they wait until the summer? I think we answered that, that uh, for the calls for Puj and all those different things, I think uh, it's best for Barcelona to move on from Rakitic uh, in the winter time. He certainly cannot be enjoying coming off the bench uh, after being such an important, influential part of the squad. And I think, again, he's Sorry. a guy in hindsight that Rakitic, I think we should remember him quite fondly. And I think 
getting him out in the winter market, uh, regardless of the price that you take for him, I, they're not going. You're not going to get anything less than thirty or fifty million in the winter market. And I think actually talent might be light. I think other teams might be holding on to their talent in winter, and then I think that's going to drive up the price of Rakitic because I think there's going to be a few more bidders than just him going to Italy, which is what's been reported. Mm-hmm. Agreed. I think he should go in January. Um, and the last point I want to make, just to close everything up, Barca is a club that lives for today. You know, obviously Luis Suarez has been going up, um, huge goal scorer, club legend, yes, of course. But Barca and football in general, but definitely at Barcelona, it's all about winning and it's all about winning today. So regardless of how great Busquets and Rakitic and Suarez and, you know, you can put Jordi Alba in there sometimes. Regardless of how great they've been throughout the years, it's all about winning today. Uh, this is a club that has criticized Guardiola uh, when he in last season. I know we've said that he was great, whatever. Of course he was. But the Gamno has been unhappy with everybody, with Cruyff, with Guardiola. Um, and and this, is, this is what the club is. It's a winning club. And only the ones that can deliver on a daily basis should be considered, which is why I think the manager, and again, we should have the best manager, not Valverde, because obviously he just isn't the manager. I think most of us agree on that. Should be playing the best players at his disposal, and he's not doing that, which is why we go to Zadia Praga and we win because of a fortunate goal and we come away lucky. Yep, I think that, unfortunately, that's a note that we have to end it on today, uh, but I think there is hope. That... Sorry. <laughs> No, no, but I think there is hope that uh, if Valverde has a week and a half here, he hasn't done anything in the first two plus years, but I hope that in the next week and a half, it all it's all figured out. The game tape is looked at uh, and, and the club finds a way. <laughs> maybe it's not even tactics change. Again, I think that's hopeful thinking, but uh, maybe there's something that they eat or a family dinner or something happens where they're able to give a little more than they gave against Slavia Prague. But Francesca, I think you and I gave all we could give today. So thanks so much for tuning in again. You can tap in your app and check out the show notes to subscribe. You can find us on social media too. We're on Twitter at the Barcelona Pod or at Hilton D13 for me and on Instagram at the Barcelona Pod. Our closed Facebook group is tbpod.link backslash group. That's where we got these questions from. There's also a lot of deeper dives and discussions there as well. You can help us out on Patreon. That is where I do the quick take match reviews. And so if you really want the tactical X and O's breakdown from yesterday's game against Slavia Prague, tbpod.link backslash Patreon. It's $3 and you get all that every match review that I do. Uh, those range anywhere from 15 to 30 minutes, depending on the match and how sad or happy I am about it. And we're also on YouTube, as I mentioned at the Barcelona podcast and this week last week we had the NBA and for those like Francesca and I who enjoy basketball I talked about Marcus Gasol, Paul Gasol and I ranked the top players who played both in the NBA and for FC Barcelona uh, there's actually way more players than I thought when I undertook that project so it was exciting to see and you can uh, check that out on YouTube as well as again uh, some opinions about Ricky Cruz this week so check all that out and hit that subscription button please so thanks so much for listening to the Barcelona podcast until next time we'll talk to you soon and Forza Barca Forza Right now, when you come in and switch to T-Mobile, you get the amazing iPhone 11 Pro on us with iPhone XS trade-in. Ah, aren't these mountains majestic? Joe, are you even looking? I'm posting these amazing pics I took with my iPhone 11 Pro. It has three cameras. Whoa, those pics are amazing. And you have service too? T-Mobile. Their newest signal goes farther than ever before. Uh, then you can look up whether these are bear tracks, right? Or we could just run. 
Come to a T-Mobile store today and get iPhone 11 Pro on us with iPhone XS trade-in. And right now, get four lines for just 30 bucks a line with AutoPay. Switch today. Contact us if you cancel or credits may stop in full price due, plus taxes and fees via 24 monthly credits for well-qualified customers with qualifying service and finance agreement. Zero down with trade-in plus 3125 times 24 months. Pre-credit price $999.99. Zero percent APR while supplies last. They call you the grill master. You've seared the thickest porterhouse in the butcher shop. And as you lift that first forkful to your mouth, you savor the moment. To get amazing offers during the Mercedes-Benz Summer Event, like the 2019 C-Class Sedan and GLC SUV. The perfect recipes of driving performance. Plus, you can enjoy six months of Sirius XM All Access included. The Mercedes-Benz Summer Event. Now serving limited time offers on a select lineup of vehicles. Offers end September 3rd. Mercedes-Benz. The best or nothing. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.